the, the changes that will happen in you and your community as you engage with the people, the indigenous people around about you, is you're going to gain as much, learn as much, change as much, probably more than any kind of learning or change you're going to be bringing. And so when we think about that in any other context, we think of that as not of I'm doing a ministry. We were thinking about that as I found a friend, you know, and we entered all friendships with that kind of sense of mutuality and, and this thing that we're gaining from each other, that we're going to be better together. Welcome to the Kamloops Alliance Church Podcast. My name is Chris, lead pastor here at the church, part of a great team and your host for this podcast. I can't believe we are in season four. I just got an email this week in the middle of March that we have surpassed over 5,000 downloads of this podcast. So thanks for being a part of this, sharing this uh, with your friends and the people in your lives. We are on a journey through the book of Acts as a church. It was great, so great to have Mark Buchanan this past weekend preach uh, a great text in in Acts, just uh, reflecting on Philip's ministry to the Samaritans, which is really kind of reflective of this journey that we are on as a church, as we seek to befriend, love, and serve Indigenous people in our city and in our area. This is all driven by our church's vision to see all people become fully devoted followers of Jesus. All people. So what that means is your neighbor, maybe in a suburban place in Kamloops. It's also the Indigenous people of our city. It's the lawyers of our city. It's the students of our city. So when we say all people, we mean all people. So I want to tell you a little bit about Mark. If you didn't catch him this past weekend at Kamloops Alliance, Mark and his wife Cheryl live in Cochrane, Alberta. He is Associate Pastor of Pastoral Theology at Ambrose Seminary. They have three adult children. Mark is a pastor, teacher, and speaker. He enjoys scuba diving, fishing, and motorcycles. He is the author of 10 books, including most recently the novel David, Rise, book one of a trilogy on the life of King David, and God Walk, Moving at the Speed of Your Soul. This is a very candid, honest, and reflective conversation of Mark's personal journey to befriend and love Indigenous people, as well as the journey that he led his church on for over 20 years. So grateful that you're here. Enjoy the conversation. Welcome again, everybody, to the Kamloops Alliance Church podcast. I am here with Mark Buchanan. Mark, welcome to the podcast. Uh, I know a little bit about you, but why don't you introduce yourself to our listeners? Chris, it's a real honor to be here. Thanks so much. I pastored for, for many years and uh, all in BC. And for the last seven, nearly eight years, I've been a associate professor at Ambrose Seminary, which probably many people at, in your church would be familiar with. Absolutely. Um, tell us a little bit about your educational journey. I, I don't even know this. Like, how did how did you get to be <laughs> a prof at Ambrose? Like, what did that look like? Well, first of all, that's really the the you know the the divine humor that I would be a professor. I was not right. a really great student until I hit university. I was, you know, pulling solid C's. And, uh, but I had a few years in the, in the, working out in the marketplace and thought, you know, I think I probably should get some education, <laughs> uh, if I want sort of a, a job that I, I would find, you know, interesting that I could flourish in. So right. I, when I was in my early twenties, enrolled at a community college, that's all I could get into with my bad grades from high school. <laughs> and I really loved it. I, I loved learning. I turned out if, uh, if if I was motivated, I was fairly 
decent as a student. So right. I ended up getting a degree, an um, undergraduate degree from University of British Columbia in two areas, for creative writing and in uh, American English, uh, the Eng- American novel, basically. Okay. And I went on to do master's work at Regent College, but not with an intent to train for pastoral work. I was just interested in adding a Christian kind of context influence to my education. So I, I, I at Regent got a master's in interdisciplinary studies okay. with this focus on American literature novels. And so I was fully intended to go be a prof- professor at that point. And then again, divine humor, uh, out of the blue, an opportunity to become a pastor came my way. And I honestly had no higher motivation. There's no, you know, great sort of road to Damascus experience. I just needed a job. <laughs> and and uh, some little Baptist church uh, not far from you in Vernon was looking for a youth mm. pastor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I thought, well, I'll do that for a year while I figure out my life. And that turned in, not the youth pastoring, but pastoral ministry to 24 years. Crazy. And then after I quite settled in that and quite content to continue in pastoral ministry for then to, you know, till retirement, this opportunity to become an academic, which had been, uh, you know, way back in my 20s, my first dream. I wanted to teach in a university cool. or college context. So it cool. kind of felt like, a, you know, it came full circle for me. Yeah. I love that. That's so okay. cool. Thank you. Uh, talk to me a little bit about your family. Yeah, Cheryl and I have been married. We're coming up on 36 years. And uh, we've have three grown children. Our son Adam is just about to turn thirty. Cool. Uh, we have a daughter living, and he he lives in uh, BC. We have a daughter living and teaching in Taiwan. Uh, wow. She's late twenties, and then a, a daughter in her mid twenties who lives in Victoria. Cool. And so we we love them. We you know I wish they were closer, but uh, we've, yeah, of we've, course. There's a wonderful thing, Chris, uh, you, uh, that when you get to my age, that you know when you're when when you're a parent when you're parenting your children when they're young, uh, obviously it's it's you know all hands on deck. Yeah. But there comes this beautiful moment where you realize um, these people are not only able to stand and thrive apart from me, but they actually know in many, many years a lot more than me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But they also, this beautiful thing when that began to happen for my wife and I when our kids were in their 20s, they began to become our friends. Yeah, I don't, I don't think it's great to make your 12-year-old your friend. No, no, <laughs> but, no. But your 22-year-old or whatever, that's a different thing. So That's awesome. I uh, really, really enjoy their friendship a lot. Cool. Uh, one of the things you mentioned was your interest in writing, creative writing. You had education in it. You've you've written uh, ten books, I believe. Um, many people probably listening would recognize uh, Mark's name attached, probably to. Uh, I would think your most well known book, probably the Rest of God. That's my guess, but I could be wrong. Out of uh, but out of those ten books, Mark, uh, which one has been the most impacting to you personally? You know, Chris, it's almost like asking me, uh, you know, which child do I treasure the most or whatever. I mean, each of them has, they came out of a a certain season. They had, uh, I had a very, very clear motivations that I could, I'm not going to bore you with, but I could, I could go through each of those books, what was underneath it. Yeah. But in terms of actually really changing because your question is about impact. Yeah. My my third book is called 
actually, it's my second book. It's called Things Unseen. And it, it, mm. it, it's about, it, the subtitle is Living in Light of Forever. Right. And it came out of a conversation I had with my publisher at the time who asked if I'd ever thought about writing on heaven. And mm. it had never occurred to me ever to, to do that. But I, I started pondering and I thought, I don't, uh, yeah, you know, I mean, what do we know about heaven? <laughs> Paul says, no eye has seen, no ear has heard. Yeah, right. which but I thought, actually, we don't know much, but we know a lot about heavenly mindedness. Mm. We know mm. a lot about uh, the anticipation of a, an eternal home with Christ. Mm. No more no more sorrow, uh, all the pain wiped out, everything set to right. We know what that did in the life of believers biblically and then historically. Huh. And I got, uh, as I began to mull that over more and more, I thought, I'm not a heavenly-minded person. Like all my, all, Really, all my motivations are earthbound. Right. Uh, will I get yeah, a better okay. job? Your paycheck will I, you know, finally go to France or whatever? Yeah. And not that these are are illegitimate. They're just they become empty or vain, as Red of Ecclesiastes says, if they're not harnessed to something much bigger and greater than mm. that. Mm. And so I thought I'm just going to at least uh, I the way I write books is I write about what I don't know. I honestly do. I don't write about what I know. I write mm. about what I want to know or I'm curious about. Okay, And then I go on a journey. So I went on a journey with that book to discover what it meant to be a heavenly-minded person. And oh my goodness, it transformed me. Wow. Like I think of the kind of, and I'm not putting too fine a spin on this, but the kind of carnal-mindedness, and I don't mean I was just, you know, chasing the things of the world, but that my fundamental motivations before that book was uh, how could I make a good life for myself? And afterward, it was actually how can I live in a way that my I'm not I'm not even aiming at this life. I'm aiming past it. Cool. That's so cool, Mark. Love it. Love it. Thank you. Yeah. Very cool. You know, uh, Mark, I've been so grateful. I mean, I think this is the third conversation that we've had. Uh, you know, the the purpose of you bringing of you coming on to the podcast today is to talk about indigenous people and and yeah. and loving indigenous people and serving indigenous indigenous people and uh, you have had quite a lot of experience in this area You've been a wealth of information for me so before your time as a professor as you mentioned you were a lead pastor at a church on Vancouver Island can you tell us just to kind of maybe set the stage a little bit tell us about your church and more specifically um, your your heart for and uh, work that you did with and befriending Indigenous people? Chris, I'd love to. Thank you. Yeah, uh, I was 18 years in Vancouver Island, and uh, the community I was in called Duncan is maybe more akin to some of the prairie towns uh, like Saskatoon or Reginers or whatnot in terms of a very visible, very prominent Indigenous community living uh, at close proximity to the, you know, wider non-Indigenous community. So, you know, most of the towns, Kamloops would have a bit of that. Uh, Calgary, not so much. It would be very hard to walk down the streets of Calgary and, uh, you know, and go five blocks and spot an Indigenous person. In Regina, every you know you would you would see several in in any given block. Well, that right. was the town I was living in, mm. and uh, it was one eighth indigenous, and again very prominent, very visible, very strong community, the Cowichan people. 
And what was, uh, I, I lived there for 18 years, as I said, for the first eight, I avoided any contact of any, you know, substance or significance. Mm. And in fact, it's really embarrassing because the church I was pastoring was right across the road from one section of the reserve. In fact, I looked out my office window and the old tribe offices were uh, right. I, I looked out across the street to them. Wow. And if I turned left out of the parking lot, I was within a minute full in uh, into the Cowichan community. Okay. And in the right years, I sort of thought, ah, whatever, you know, <laughs> just, <laughs> I, I, I had uh, unbelievable, I, I had no idea how much prejudice I was carrying until God started to burn it out of me. Uh, but I honestly didn't think this is somehow part of my, you know, the, the, I think any church, and I know you do this, Chris, and it's why I so have come to love and admire you. Is, I mean, I love it because you're a cool dude, but um, <laughs> you really strike me as one of those uh, leaders that give me great, great courage and hope for the future of the evangelical church. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> shout out, shout out to, and, and don't edit that out. Um, <laughs> here, here's the thing that uh, I, you get and I didn't for a long time. What you get, and it took me a long time to wake up to, is you got to look out your neighborhood and whatever the demographic, whatever the dynamics, whatever culturally, socially, socioeconomically, ethnically is going on in your neighborhood, even if it changed from when you moved in, whatever, 20, 30 years ago, that is a, a thing. It behooves us as Christ followers to say, this must be God on the move, that he's brought right. the nations to me or that I happen to be located right across the street from the Cowichan tribes. Right. Like, like it took me a long time to wake up to that. Um, mm. And I'm so, again, impressed with so many leaders of which you are, are such a fine representation who get that. Mm. My generation, I don't think got that. I think it mm. was very uh, likely that, that uh, people in my generation, maybe the generation before, would bemoan the changes in our community that we, you know, when we moved in here, we're all a bunch of nice white people or whatever. And then yes. this group started to kind of move in. Right. And we, we lament that. We lament the mosque that went up down the street or whatever, rather than seeing that this is actually probably an Isaiah 2 moment where God says, I'm going to bring the nations to you. Yeah, right. And right. I'm going to, and, and you're, and now, now you're on, right? Now you don't live in little Christendom anymore. Now you uh, actually have to live out your faith with a courage, a conviction, and integrity, humility, like never before. So I need yeah. to also say, this is a long explanation, but I, I just thought okay. I'd preach. I hadn't preached for a while, so I preached. For, um, <laughs> just give her, man, give her. <laughs> yeah, I just, I, I, it took me a while to wake up to that. And then when I did it, it was like all at once. Like it was, I was, I was bamboozled, thunderstruck, undone, um, wow. turned inside out, uh, weeping, much weeping, much repenting, um, many mistakes. But what we began to do is I got it to a place where I could not uh, not do something. And I went to my church board and I said, listen, uh, something happened. I, I realized that I've been utterly, deeply neglectful of something that matters a lot to God. And mm -hmm. I think I'm going to make a big mess. I think I'm just going to lead us in. I think it's going to change everything for our church. Um, <laughs> uh, so I don't think we can go fat. I don't think we can go kind of gently at this one. I think we have to kind of 
God's calling us to deep change, not so much to go be change agents. So I think that could happen. Mm. But I said to the board, I, I said in utter sincerity, fire me or loose me. But I'm not going to do, I'm not going to pat, I'm not going to tread water anymore. Fire me or loose me. Uh. And so the, the, there was a great board and I said, we loose you. And I said, no, before you do that, you understand that it, it, there's implications for you. I'm not just talking about my personal journey. Right. I'm going to go get messed with. And I think because of that, we're all going to get messed with. Yeah. And they said, let's go. And so we did. So uh, my goodness, uh, we got messed with. And so we, we began to kind of explore every which way to kind of create relationship and friendship with the Cavachian people, including all the, 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 you know, we can maybe later in the podcast talk about all the idiotic things we did, I did, uh, <laughs> that, you know, you can avoid, you can, you can just sort of not do that. But what finally ended up happening is we realized that um, Indigenous people, like all people all over the earth, love their kids. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, have hopes and dreams and fears for their children. And if we, uh, and that's partly why residential school was just so tragic and horrific is that it was an assault against the children of indigenous populations. I mean, imagine your kids, somebody coming to you and say, we we know how to raise them better than you. We're going to take them from you. We're going to strip all the stuff you've taught them, the the language. We're going to take it all away because you made a mistake being you. So we're going to take them and we're going to do it right. And then, you know, what fell out of that. So what um, we, we realized is that if we actually went and worked with the community, the indigenous community, and said, what do you dream for your kids and how might we come alongside mm-hmm. uh, to help you fulfill that? And long story short, we ended up with that there's no such thing as a long story short with me. They're all long. Um, <laughs> we, we ended up... Uh, buying a ton of equipment, probably we didn't even need it. We could have just got little buckets of chalk and went down to the reserve and did chalk art or whatever. But we, <laughs> we got like we 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 man, you know, we got lots of budget and we had this fantastic trailer that had a you know a, the side drop down. We had a puppet stage and but we went down all the time to the reserve and we we hung out with kids. And if you start hanging out with kids, and you're going to hang out with moms, dads, and grandparents. Mm-hmm. Uncles, mm-hmm. aunts. It is a well uh, tied together community, and when when they began to realize that we were there not to take their kids away, abuse their kids, harm their kids, that we were working with indigenous ways of of uh, learning and educating, so we uh, learned some of the Hakaminam language of the Kwaselish people, and uh, and used uh, often indigenous kind of art itself to, to teach things. Uh, the, the parents and grandparents really swung behind us. And so wow. uh, to this day, that, that's why I've been gone for that church eight years. That ministry among or with us, I don't even like to talk about ministry. It's friendship with yeah. the Cowichan people is better than it's ever been. It's thriving. It's gone further than I could have uh, cool. imagined taking it. And it is a genuinely um, mutual uh, friend, uh, communities of friendship and, and serving one another. Mm. You know, your your language that you use resonate with me because we're, we're at the beginning stages of our journey right. here as a church. And I haven't even really known what to call this. Like, is it, 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 does, it, it, does, it, seems, it seems wrong and bad to say this is a ministry to or, or with, but the language of we're just friends with, 
and and we just want to bring help to resonates with me way more than a ministry. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. I mean, you, and I know one of the things we want to talk about is, you know, how do we frame that? And that would be one of the very first things, Chris, is that stop thinking about it as a ministry. Um, yeah. Because ministry impl- has enormous implications about who's in charge, who's got the power, who's got the resources, who's the smart one, all yeah. of that sort of things. And it, the reason I'm saying dump it is actually you have no idea what you're about to to learn. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the changes that will happen in you and your community as you engage with the um, people, the indigenous people around about you, is yeah. you're going to gain as much, learn as much, change as much, probably more than any kind of learning or change you're going to be bringing. Of course. And so when we think about that in any other context, we think of that as not of I'm doing a ministry. We were thinking about that as uh, I'm, I found a friend, you know, yeah, and we totally. entered all friendships with that kind of sense of mutuality and, and this thing that we're, we're, we're gaining from each other, that we're going to be better together. There's a, my wife quotes all the time and I can't remember the name of uh, the, the person, but it's an indigenous elder who said, if you've come here because you want to help us, don't bother. But mm-hmm. if you've come here because you think your healing and my healing are bound up together, then let us walk together. Oh, well, that's beautiful. Well, that's beautiful. Uh, Mark, you, you talked about, and you said a big word, uh, prejudice. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think... My, my sense is I could be wrong, but the majority of us walk around and think, oh, I, I'm not prejudiced. You know, I don't I don't walk around with, you know, the Ku Klux Klan, you know, you know, white, white garb on like that's not me. Um, What's my question? Like, yeah, are we, yeah, are we prejudiced? You know, like, like what's going on there? Yeah, absolutely. And I still am. And, and, and it's partly. Uh, so let me under- say it in a way that I think will, will help your listeners kind of grasp. Um, and, and because it's been my discovery, I didn't think I had prejudice coming into this 20 years ago. And one of the things that this adventure, this journey has exposed is how much I had and how deep it goes and how much is still there. Yeah. A prejudice literally means to prejudge. I've already I've already rendered a verdict before I, I got I gained any evidence. So that the prejudice means I didn't I don't need the evidence, I don't need the experience, I don't need to sort of do investig I'd already know what it is. And so prejudice exists at a at a lot of levels, and in some ways it's not even so much um, a sort of a moral stain, it's just kind of something the human does. <laughs> we right. prejudge lots of situations. We drive up to the Safeway and we see a bunch of parking cars in the lot. We think it's going to be busy in there and we've prejudged it. We've already rendered a verdict. We don't actually know because we didn't go in. Right, Right. sure. So so it's just kind of how the human brain works. But what happens is that when you uh, layer on generations of cultural forming that are fundamentally prejudicial. So I've, we've already prejudged. Let's talk about indigenous communities. We've already prejudged them in terms of we think what we're going on that we don't need, we never needed, or we certainly don't feel we need now to, uh, to, to uh, get any more evidence on the ground. Right, right. Okay. Um, then uh, that's the thing where, where 
that's going to run so deep in us, those prejudicial kind of uh, ways of framing a situation. It's going to take years and years to ha- sort of bring that up, bring that to light and actually get done with it. Mm. And so one of, I, I'll tell you, I had an experience just this past week, Chris, where I, uh, my wife and I were out doing something on a Saturday evening. We saw somebody uh, just off from parking lot on the ground. I got out. It was an indigenous man who had had an epileptic seizure. He had already tried to phone 911 and they had told him you're drunk and they hung up on him. Um, I, uh, he was had moments of lucidity. He was going in and out of a seizure. He said, I have an epileptic, I have epilepsy, I haven't taken my medication. I phone 911. Um, I say, I've got a situation here. So they say, okay, we'll dispatch an ambulance. 40 minutes later, I have to phone back. And, and it, it's, you know, what? tell me about the man. So it's revealed he's indigenous. Wow. 40 minutes later, uh, after I phone back, a ambulance attendant shows up. And I honestly, I, I am a big fan of, of EMS workers, uh, emergency service people. Uh, I've met so many who are unbelievably kind and competent, et cetera, but I've never seen smugness like I saw in this worker. Oh, and man. his attitude reeked of um, uh, another guy had come to help who had some medical training. And this other guy was trying to explain to the paramedic, you know, here's the situation, here's the symptoms and whatnot. And the guy was just, yep, 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 yep. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And, uh, and then he gets down and starts patting the guy down for drugs and paraphernalia or weaponry or whatever. And I thought there's no way you or I as with white skin would ever have right. to experience that in Canada, maybe somewhere else, but not here. Yeah. And so that's just mount, mountains of prejudice where that person came in already having made up their mind what's going on here. Yeah. Wow. So that just gets burned. You know, I think unless we're ready to sort of face that, no, there's probably something there. Mm-hmm. And I might be flattering myself by thinking otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I think just to kind of be open to the possibility, oh, you know what? It I I bet you I've got some systemic attitudes, some things. Not I'm openly racist, not right. I've ever been polite to somebody um, of a different ethnicity than myself. Right. I just got stuff kind of uh that's shaped the way I've thought for a long time. Yeah. Okay. Um, and, and it's probably operating at a, at a at a kind of background level. It's kind of operating system stuff at this point. Hmm. So then, Mark, how did how did this journey then confront your prejudice, and what change did you personally go through? Because you know, prejudice. When we think about you know apprenticeship to Jesus and the life ministry of Jesus and the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, and then then there's prejudice there. Like that doesn't work. And so, how, how was that confronted? And and what journey did you go on when when you were able to admit it, confess it, and 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 have a bigger heart to Indigenous people? Do you know what I'm asking? Yeah. Well, I I think uh, in terms of how it was confronted, is that after this change happened, uh, now, you know, early 2000s, and I went to the board and said, fire me or loose me, me," I uh, began, you know, journeying and, and trying to figure out a way to walk with Indigenous people. But I realized the prejudice started to confront right away where in a subtle way, I 
uh, I, I began to realize that um, I didn't value indigenous lives as much as valued white lives. So just wow. put it that starkly. I remember wow. hearing Romeo Delario, Delario around that time. Delario, um, so how do you say the guy, the guy that was the UN general from Canada overseeing the um, uh, peace troops, the UN troops in Rwanda during the genocide, and he wrote a, an enormous, a phenomenal book called "Shake Hands with the Devil." He mm. came to Victoria around that same time. I'm going through this change, and he talked about his vain attempts to get some kind of real action from um, Western nations on the, the atrocities happening in, in, uh, in Rwanda in 1994. Uh, um, over a million people slaughtered within three months uh, in, oh. by brutal means. And he could not get uh, Western leaders to give a rip. It was just a big yawn. And he came to the conclusion that um, in the eyes of Western leaders, a white life is infinitely more valuable than one black life. Wow. Or, one, or one white life is infinitely more black, uh, um, valuable than thousands, tens of thousands of black lives. Yeah. And I started to realize, I remember, again, around the same time hearing that and realizing there are sort of subtle things in myself where I uh, valued white lives more than uh, indigenous lives. And I'll give you one example. I remember... Around that time, reading a, uh, a something in the newspaper about an accident that happened uh, that was it sounded very terrible and tragic and loss of life, and then somewhere it mentioned that they were indigenous. I can't remember how that came through, and I I registered in my heart this little oh oh it's it's just. And I and I, I was horrified, yeah. but I realized that that was one of those pieces down deep in me, mm-hmm. and uh, so I had to really bring that before God and repent of it. To, to I mean, to, what I can say is that uh, you know I we're involved in a, a couple of communities here in Calgary, and it's uh, it's heartrending to us when we hear somebody in uh, the, the indigenous communities around here dying by whatever means. But it took me to confront that, to recognize and confront that in my myself and to invite God to change my heart, oh Lord. Yeah, yeah. Um, thanks for your honesty, Mark. I mean, I, I don't know there'd be a lot of people that'd be able to admit, you know, those sorts mm. of things. But I think I think what it does is in your vulnerability and honesty, it allows us to search our own heart and say, oh my goodness, you know what? I do remember a time where I was reading an article and I felt yeah. that same thing or yeah. that same you know, posture. So I, I really appreciate your, your honesty. Thank you. Um, so as you, as you took your church on this journey, you, you've talked about your journey. Tell us the journey of the church. Was there hesitancy, skepticism, <laughs> resistance? Um, because they obviously didn't fire you, but maybe maybe the people ran you out. You know, how did, how yeah, did they, that, what was the church journey like? Uh, for some reason, Chris, uh, um, I, you know, I was six years in another church and then in 18 at that one. We never went through a church split. What we had is a lot of people leave. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So rather than kind of mount a kind of a protest or whatever mutiny, uh, people who weren't down with it and people left for other reasons. They didn't like my preaching or 
um, you know, they were, they were upset about some other matter. Uh, yeah. So, but around this issue, we had a fair, fairly high number leave. Mm. And when I, I tried to get with those people as much as possible to kind of try to get inside what is your fundamental objection. And it really didn't reduce to, you know, there wasn't a clear pattern for me. There maybe was, but it was everything from, you know, we used to live in this town and it, we had this difficulty with an indigenous community there. Uh, you know, we owned a store and it, this happened or whatever yeah. to, uh, you know, we had a cottage on a lake and right next was an indigenous community and we got beat up by the native kids or whatever yeah. to, um, uh, a lot of it actually was um, some practical concerns that uh, say uh, we do know that um, Native kids have beautiful thick hair, but there's a, a likely a greater likelihood that a, a child will get lice. So right. just a reality. And so there's a genuine practical concern if if we have indigenous kids that are Sunday school and we know how you know how how infectious lice. What are we going to do about that? So uh, mm. there's a, you know some practical fears uh, that that sometimes were underneath, and some most of it had to do with some experience, uh, anecdotal sort of thing. I knew a native right. at one point; it didn't go well. Or right. Right. Um, and I think, but I think the bigger issue, uh, I think the bigger issue actually was a, a, a decision that uh, the board and myself made around how much were we going to lean into Indigenous culture. Mm, I think okay. most people were ready to kind of work with uh, and maybe confront some of their own prejudice and go on a journey or whatnot. Uh, or, or work collaboratively and creatively around solving some of the practical issues. Most people were game for that. What mm -hmm. I made a decision early on is that I took the first Corinthians, uh, become all things to all people in order to win as many as possible. To the Jew, I became like a Jew. To the you know Gentile, a Gentile. Uh, we took the approach that we're going to embrace as much indigenous culture a local indigenous culture. So uh, in right. the first instance, Cowichan people, Coast Salish people, as possible um, until we, we really hit up a hard boundary with what we felt was uh, a, an, a, you know, an, um, a commitment to the gospel. So if there's some ritual or something that just seemed incompatible, right. we would say no to that as we would in any, in our own culture. Yeah, uh, there's sure. certain movies we won't watch. <laughs> Right, uh, of because or we'd never admit to it because we're we've you know we said that's a hard boundary with yeah. our our Christian faith. So, but so what that meant in practice, Chris, is that I was having Indigenous people not only come up and preach and and uh, share testimony and whatnot, but often they'd be in regalia. Often they'd come and sing mm -hmm. uh, with a drum in, in regalia in their own tongue. Right. Wow. And. And other practices like, so that was pushing a lot of envelope uh, for people. I tried to set the groundwork for it as much as possible, but it was just too, a bridge too far for a lot of people. So that was, uh, and I, I knew I had to make that decision fairly early or I, th I felt I did. So I made it probably within the first year of venturing out in this. And that, that really was disruptive for a lot of people. I could see. I could see why. Yeah, yeah it's just it's just uncomfortable. It's a different culture. Like, why, yeah. why is this going on? I can I can see that. Absolutely. Uh really quickly here, uh so what impact did you see? 
uh, as you did this? What impact maybe in your in your church and in the people as well? Yeah, well, uh, twofold. Talk about within the church and the people. Um, those who didn't leave changed. It right. had an enormous impact on. And so, so some of the people who were most opposed, most death set against, wrote me, you know, nasty letters or whatever. Yeah, uh, got a little cabal together, you know, a little delegation, and come would visit me and the board, and they would, you know, share their grave concerns and all that. I saw an enormous amount of change in people to the point that now I look and and the people who are most involved now were some of the people most opposed before. Wow. And so that was incredible to watch. Um, sure. and, the, and then the second real impact we saw was in the couch and community. Um, as we built these relationships of friendship and trust, we saw more and more people uh, deeply open. Oh, people, uh, by the way, the residential schools in the island were some of the worst in Canada in terms of mm-hmm. abuse, et cetera. And so some of uh, the people were residential school survivors and they, they could name the school and they could name the person who had or people who had abused them and had deep, deep suspicion and sometimes hatred toward the, the church. And we saw some radical change where they realized, okay, whatever my association or my attitude toward the church was ain't so with these people right. and and uh, in if in some cases it didn't lead to conversion but just a, a different kind of relationship now was established um where before it was sort of scorn and and uh, contempt and avoidance now we could have a, a really fruitful conversation but we saw a number of people come to faith because wow. in indigenous cultures it's a faith culture it's it's a yeah. culture of uh, you don't find atheists. <laughs> I've yet to meet. I honestly have yet to meet an atheist in indigenous right. um, communities. Uh, and and a lot of what you do see in terms of traditional belief is uh, so well aligned in terms of some of the fundamentals of what we believe as Christ followers or as a creator. It's not. Mm-hmm. It's not a, a polytheistic belief system in most parts of indigenous communities within North America. It's monotheistic. It's uh, a profound regard for creator. It's um, often there's some sort of uh, sense of God, the creator sent, sent uh, somebody to come and represent him on this earth. Um, And so uh, there's deep, deep alignments that are very easy to build connection with. And often we've just missed those. Yeah. Um, But uh, this is a people of prayer. I've never been to an indigenous gathering uh, where there hasn't been explicitly began and usually involved somewhere in the middle, some kind of prayer. Right. Right. So... So uh, I really, a people of faith, and um, and the, the, the seven grandfather teachings, which are uh, would be these seven teachings, kind of are, are widespread throughout indigenous communities throughout Canada and, and the U.S. But the, the seven grandfather teachings, which are fundamental to how people think about themselves and living in community, they're, they're fruit of the spirits. Wisdom, it's 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 humility, it's love, wow. it's courage. You know, wow. there's not there's not a one there you'd say, eh, not sure about that. <laughs> right, right. right. So uh, lots of so, parallels. So we we began to realize that we weren't so much bringing God to the indigenous people that we were. Mm-hmm. 
uh, entering a conversation about uh, already deep, deep levels of, of faith. Mm-hmm. Uh, what if the one that, you know, that, you know, it's the one that you've you've been seeking, the one that you've been praying to. What if his son's name is Jesus? <laughs> right. Is, and there, once there is a, a level of of uh, trust and relationship, that was a fairly easy conversation to have. Cool, that's beautiful. Uh, so we talked a lot about your experience, Mark. I I, I know that you're still involved uh, with Indigenous people. Uh, what does that look like now, and what does that look like in the future for you? Yeah. Yeah, we, we're involved here in Calgary with uh, two communities, uh, the Stony Nakoda people, uh, a nation, and uh, their, their community is called Morley. It's about 20 minutes west of where we live. And so uh, we're involved there. My wife especially, she'll, she'll be out there two or three times a week um, mm. involved with, with her friends there and doing different things. And then uh, south of us, about 30 minutes south, is another community called Sutina. And we actually, that's where our church community is. We go to church there and many, many friends. And then there's a number roundabout that we uh, have less formal relationships with. Cool. Uh, so we've continued to build those relationships, friendships. My wife's best friends all come from uh, either Sutino or from Morley. Hmm. And uh, so th- these are people that she does life with. And, and cool. uh, if she's not with them in person, she's on Zoom calls and all of that. Right. Uh, we have, uh, my wife and I are launching this September, September 2021, um, a, a thing that we've been dreaming for a while called New Story Community. And it's going to be a residency program with, uh, we'll start with four Indigenous women. And it's uh, sort of second tier. So if, if the women have, have, have been in treatment, it'll be the second level of that, where it'll be a really uh, uh, it's some equipping in terms of vocational skills. Uh, we'll be continuing of a healing journey. It'll be some uh, deeper dive into discipleship. And all living in a community will live not with, but very close to the to the women, uh, you know, a few hundred yards away or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But they'll have to figure out life on their own. So we're not going to be babysitting or we're not going to be, you know, intervening in every conflict. But it's called New Story Community. And we're hoping, uh, you say about the future, so that's coming in the immediate future. Cool. We're hoping that uh, that this is, this succeeds and then we would start multiplying it. So it's something uh, we're working actually collaboratively with a retreat center, a Christian retreat center, and they will deliver the on the vocational training. So various skills that they will train the women and, and also pay the women for. Wow. Uh, so the, the, each one will come out. It's an eight-month program, residency program, come out with further along the healing journey, plus a whole bunch of very, very marketable skills cool. and a bunch of money. Yeah. And so we hope this again succeeds, and then we'd, we'd we'd multiply, replicate it, multiply it in other parts of Canada. That's awesome! Beautiful journey. Thank you, uh, Mark. We've uh, we've talked about your journey. Uh, let's talk about our journey here as a church uh, for the last little bit here. Uh, what would you say to Canloops Alliance as we journey down this road? Yeah, I mean, the, I I, I want to say go faster than you think. I mean, often we say in a, in these kind of contexts, go slow. Yeah. Um, go faster than you think. I mean, that was that's been the big complaint of. Um, you know, I think of Martin Luther King's uh, letter from Birmingham prison, and he was constantly hearing from white clergy, yes, we really agree with, you know, all of your dreams and goals, just go slower. 
And that is a diatribe against the council of slowness. We've been going slow on this too long, to be honest. So I would say to your people, actually go faster, but with indigenous people themselves, don't get pushy. Yeah. Um, take If you're going to be slow on anything, be slow in how you build uh, friendship, trust over over a long arc. Uh, mm-hmm. Don't. Uh, one of the things we learned, indigenous people are generally. This is a this is a you know is a generalization that won't be true in many circumstances. But there's a a, a kind of a hesitancy. Uh, no, the right word is, I think, reticence. That um, if you're if you're asking too many questions, they are going to pull back from that. In in between you and I, you know, we we hardly have to know each other. We can start asking some pretty deep questions, right? Sure. Uh, that would be a cultural mistake with most indigenous people to start asking too many questions that are personal. Mm. Um, or even about their culture, that would just be just go slow, build a relationship slowly, mm. uh, and and uh, in time you will find once the trust is there that there will be um, a willingness to kind of divulge, disclose, enter into much deeper relationship. So yeah, I would say you know at your end in terms of mm-hmm. uh, e- exhorting people, um, learning stuff, uh, re. re-, re- looking at structures that may be barriers that you don't even see them as barriers, go fast or faster Mm. than you're inclined. Cool. Uh, Don't be afraid to make a bit of a mess on that one. But yeah, with the, with the people themselves, just be really, um, take it, take it at the pace the person and and the group that you're working with want to take it. And I think, I think that's just like, let's just be normal people with each other. You know, (laughs) you know, like, like, I I think, I think so much, even for me as a non-indigenous person, uh, we've complicated this. Like, what? How am I supposed to talk to to indigenous people? It's like just like another human being yeah, in front actually, of you. Like, just be, just be normal. Just love the person. Be curious about them. Don't be weird. Yeah. Like, you know. <laughs> and, and and like when whenever we're making any sort of uh, uh, step, you know, in, in terms of trying to understand a, a culture different than our own, we're going to make mistakes. If you went to you know, if you went to Bali or whatnot, you're gonna you're gonna goof up some stuff, right? Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. So don't be don't have a ton of anxiety about that. Don't be brash. Don't be you know walk in humility, but don't yeah don't be awkward. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is just another person with hopes and dreams and and uh, and, and yeah, enter into that. It's, it's even some of the language, you know, we're so uptight as white people about what's the correct term. Um, well, you'll find out pretty quick that, I mean, our, our sort of go-to term now is indigenous, uh, but you're going to rarely hear that <laughs> once you're down uh, walking with, with indigenous people. They, they hardly talk about themselves as indigenous. Um, right. In fact, some of the, the ways they talk about themselves will probably be shocking to our white sensibilities. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, my, I, what I found is that most indigenous people like to be, they like the term native which actually, right. interestingly, means indigenous. It's just a nicer, shorter way of saying it. <laughs> yeah, right, right. Yeah, uh, yeah. So all that uptightness, uh, just yeah, be be uh, certainly sensitive, humble, but be normal. Be mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Be, be yourself. Normal. 
It's interesting, you know, how you just said, you know, you're going to make a mistake. I've made mistakes, you know, for those of you listening in, I am I am maybe one or two steps ahead of where you are at. And uh, as we've gone on this journey, I had a meeting, uh, we've been kind of hosting these information nights and talking about, you know, the Indian Act and all of the history of, of Indigenous people in Canada. And I kept referring to myself uh, on this Zoom call as as a white person. And then uh, we had a follow-up meeting with somebody who came in and she's Métis and and looks white, but she is full-on Métis. And so she's like, you know, like, I understand (laughs) what you're saying, but like, I am fully Métis, but I look white. So it's probably better to say non-Indigenous than white. And I'm like, oh, like, that's really helpful because she's like, not not all Indigenous people are are darker skin. And I was like, oh, like, I didn't mean to offend you. She's like, no, 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 it's all good. But, but I think, I think it's just, it's just, you're going to make a mistake. You're going to step on your toes a little bit, you know? Yeah. 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 A lot of uh, language that's sort of become current for describing non-Indigenous as settlers. So basically, Indigenous means you got here first. Settlers, I got here later. (laughs) Right, sure. Yeah, that's good. Uh, What could we expect as you kind of reflect on your own journey, your church's journey, what could we expect as a church here? Um, Because, you know, even as you you talk about this and people are listening in, their their backs might be getting up. Oh my goodness, like, uh, I kind of like the way that we're doing things. Why, you know... What can we expect or what, what, what can we prepare for? Yeah, one thing I would do differently, I would, I would go probably not, uh, I would go faster than I went. So that's my, you know, my, my, my kind of subversive piece of advice. I would go faster but lay a better foundation. Mm. And so one of the things that's going to be important for you, Chris, is to really, uh, at various levels, but not the least from the pulpit, and I know you're doing this, but but explore uh, a whole bunch of themes, uh, not just about indigenous communities, but about God's heart for the nations and uh, the way, you know, maybe a critique, I'm sure you're doing this, of Western ways of individualizing, commercializing um, the gospel, that it's about me and Jesus and it's uh, about my my prospering, maybe not in a health and wealth wealth uh, kind of way, but it's about sort of, uh, you know, the plans he has for me and all these sorts of things. Right. And, and doesn't really have this larger uh, ambition that God has for, for all, every tribe and tongue and nation. So mm. I think part of the way that you can lay a foundation is helping people theologically think through all of that. Mm-hmm. But I think what your church can expect is that it will get messy. Mm-hmm. Um, but th- that's kind of how the kingdom goes, that the kingdom is not about this kind of getting everything tidy and keeping it tidy. Mm-hmm. That uh, That is by almost definition not the kingdom. <laughs> it's this thing that's bursting out and bursting in and changing lives and always reordering, you know, always sort of bringing us to a fresh and deeper encounter with Christ and what Christ is asking of us and empowering us to. Mm-hmm. And anytime we get too settled into kind of a comfortable pattern, we probably somewhere along the line got off the gospel bus, the kingdom bus, yeah. and and got into some little kind of, um, uh, you know, we just we just stopped sort of thinking that that that, that uh, the kingdom is this thing that keeps advancing yeah, and keeps, right. invi- you know, keeps moving into new territory in our own lives and, and, and in, in the world. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a lot of this has to do with, is just, you know, um, your church just has to keep, and I know the kind of pastor you are that you're constantly reminding them, 
this is we're we're people of the gospel. We're people of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not a little. We're not a country club. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not about sort of making things as safe and comfortable for all of us. Mm-hmm. This is actually getting empowered uh, by the God who set us free. Uh, you know, I, I've sometimes preached on Legion and said Legion is almost the perfect disciple. He starts like full of everything you, know, you don't want. Yes, right, right. <laughs> Jesus kind of boom uh, sets him free and then turns him loose. Because if you remember with Legion, it's like go and you know Legion says, "Can I basically hang out with you?" The people people here don't like me much, right? Yeah, and Jesus right. says, uh, "No, I want you to go back and tell tell yeah. tell everyone to, uh, what God's done for you." And so it's kind of set them free, turn them loose. So that's almost a picture of the gospel, getting rid of all that crud that's in us. Usually not as instantaneously as it happened for Legion. (laughs) Yeah, we all wish it was that quick. Yeah, but the freedom is for which we've been set free is a freedom to actually be involved then in this big, beautiful, messy, tumultuous, Mm -hmm. never-ending work of God's kingdom going forward. I think some some of the idols... Uh, that we don't talk about in the church is the idol of safety and the idol of our own comfort and the idol of not changing. And uh, one of my mentors always said to me, Chris, I always want the right amount of chaos. You know, I, I, I always, I always want the right amount, maybe the right chaos and the right amount of chaos. Like yeah. kingdom chaos is good chaos. And, and I, you know, as I, as I interviewed for this role, one of the things the elders, I said, the elders are like, I will orient this church to mission. I will orient this church to mission. And not that it wasn't before, but like, I'm going to continue down that road. And some of that is, is, is mess. It's going to get a little bit messy. And, and if I, if you're listening in, I just say, uh, there's lots of room on the bus and, uh, and get ready. Cause it's going to get, it's going to get good, but it, it might get a little bit messy as well. Okay. Maybe last few, a few last questions here, Mark, before we land the plane. I think a really important question is with all of the historical baggage that Christians have with Indigenous people in Canada, you think about residential schools, that sort of stuff. What advice would we, would you give to, to us? I, I really think it behooves, especially the, the people who are going to be key leaders in this, is get educated. Uh, get educated on the history of the church and indigenous relationships. So a good place to start would actually just be the reports that came out of the Truth and Reconciliation Commission uh, that that um, wound up their work in 2015 and then produced over the next couple of years, several reports. Even the summary report would be mm-hmm. almost, I would almost say uh, necessary de rigor reading uh, because it, it really does document in a, in a quite a vivid, compelling, and 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 well-researched way, why this is an ongoing issue and why mm-hmm. we ought to be involved and concerned. Uh, familiarize yourself with the ninety-four calls to action that came out of the TRC, and especially uh, calls to action fifty-eight to sixty-two, which are explicitly addressed to the church. Interestingly, only two of them are actually for the church. The other two are for institutions like Ambrose, where I teach. So it's extraordinary to me that the, the, the church in the history of uh, residential schools, which is one of the sorest points, not the only, but one of the sorest points in, in this sort of long and troubled relationship, 
But the 94 calls to action, only four of them actually address the church, and and really only two of them. And they're very, very modest asks that the Indigenous community are asking the church. And I would say familiarize yourself with the entire 94 but uh, for all, by all means, almost commit to memory the two that address the church and, and then begin to explore what, do, what would it look like if we just did that bit. Right. Uh, I would say, uh, you know, there's a, a coming uh, legal stuff coming down in the next few months with uh, the UNDRIP or the United Nations Declaration on Rights of Indigenous People uh, to try to get um, caught up and, and understand what that is about and uh, get some position. And then just general reading around, um, you know, the history of the, this relationship. I, I think uh, you've already done this, Chris, but if there's, uh, I, th- I think you've d- found that there's a history of the local com- community. Yeah. Um, if you could get that, you know, uh, copies of that distributed so people mm-hmm. really understand every Indigenous community, even if it's sort of part of the this nation or that nation, are going to have distinctives in terms of how they've um, embraced their own culture or, or expressions of that culture. Just like Kamloops probably has some things going on different from Calgary, right? Of course, yeah. <laughs> They're yeah. two different places and what you value and the teams you cheer for and everything. Yeah, right, um, right. So- songs that are popular are going to be different there than here. Well, similar in, in Indigenous communities. So even if it's, uh, you know, mostly comes from the this people group, uh, it's there's going to be variation. So try to learn that local history. Yeah. Um, and then I, I would say, uh, go on this journey. This is my last bit. Go on this journey of asking God, um, you know, with David prays in Psalm 139, uh, Lord, search me and see if there be anything wicked way of me. So, something that actually I didn't even think it was there. Mm-hmm. And it's there and it becomes a barrier to what you want to do in and through me. Mm, it's beautiful. Uh, do, do you know offhand what those two recommendations are? From the TRC? Yeah, yeah. The one is about um, churches supporting uh, indigenous, uh, you know, the right to indigenous ways of, of self uh, self identification and and um, you know their own education. So this is going out where basically the, the church took control of the uh, not only the education but the identity formation of people mm-hmm. and so it's a kind of a, a recognition that that's not your job your work so it's almost an intellectual move the mm-hmm. big piece and i forget if it's uh, 60 or what number it is but it's within that 50 to 62 it's um this is the one where uh, even even this simple thing churches have had a lot of trouble on it's about thinking ways you as a church can embrace and promote indigenous ways of being so it has to do with the cultural piece mm-hmm. and and honestly i've seen a lot of churches that get tripped up at that point right right yeah right. um but i think to not go on that journey and uh and and i would maybe start with a small group of people who aren't going to make it a point of argument they're just yeah. going to actually say let's just really ask what would it look like for us to come alongside or promote or be uh, um, be the advocates for indigenous ways of doing indigenous things, yeah, indigenous wow. people, and and what might that look like, you know, in our actual community? So if you are bringing indigenous people to come and speak and whatnot, um, 
is, are, do they have a traditional dress that they want to kind of wear a traditional mm -hmm. song that they want to sing in their way? Right. Um, now some indigenous people won't because we've done, uh, you know, in terms of the way that uh, indigenous people were evangelized historically is often we told them that their, their culture was incompatible with their faith. Mm -hmm. And so they have some deep reservations about the drum or whatever it happens to be. So I wouldn't try to impose that on an no, no. indigenous person either, but yeah. I would just be, uh, I think, I think if there's not an openness, I remember the first time I had a person play drum in our church and we had a number of indigenous people who had been part of the church community for years. And, uh, I'd had, you know, been told your your culture is incompatible with Christian faith. And uh, I remember them weeping as this person drayed the drum and sang in her um, her, her mother tongue because uh, they, they just, it was so beautiful to them. And they said, I'd never, ever imagined ever experiencing that in a church. Wow. Wow. That's a powerful moment. <laughs> powerful moment. Um Maybe the one last question is, um, what would you say to those people who are hesitant, who are listening in? Yeah, I would say, I wouldn't, I wouldn't push them. I would just ask and plead with them to hold this in open hands that they wouldn't yeah. prejudge it. Yeah. They wouldn't prejudge it. Yeah. Uh, they don't have to get all down with it. They don't have to get all over it. They don't have to fund it or anything. But would you give it a, would you, would you just create enough space in your own heart for mm -hmm. this something to happen? Mm -hmm. So uh, this goes, you know, the this thing that my wife and I are call, uh, starting, I told about with the Indigenous women, is called New Story Community. The backstory to that name is I was doing some um, some speaking with an Indigenous friend about seven years ago uh, out in Ontario. And uh, a dear, dear friend, uh, and he said the last, a very conservative group of Christians, said, he said to me the last night, I think I'm supposed to, be, before I talk, I'm supposed to do a smudge. So you, you know, light some sage or sweet grass or whatever, and, and you waft it over yourself. And I said, uh, oh man, you know, um, if you think so, I just got a feeling this group's not going to really appreciate that a lot. Mm -hmm. And he said, I, I really feel I should do it. And I said, well, fine, but why don't you do it? Um, what, what, what if I, you know, what if we went up together and I said something about my own experience with this so I could sort of calm down people who would be freaked out, then you do it. And so that's what we did. I went up and I just said something, he did it. And, but I could tell that, uh, it was really causing a strong reaction among many people in the room. So I said to my friend, "Could I have? Would you mind if I just spoke to that feeling in the room, um, and yeah. then I'll get off the platform?" He said, "Sure." So I went out and I said, "I, I can tell that a lot of you are deeply troubled by by what just happened, mm -hmm. um, and you're deeply resistant to it. And um, I'm not going to ask you to embrace it. I'm going to ask you to stop." sort of having this angry response to it. Mm. I'm going to ask you just do this. And I held out my hands and I said, would you just take time, not just tonight, but over the next weeks and months to, to just kind of hold that mm -hmm. and wonder about it and have some conversations about it. And I said, um, and th then the, 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 this is where a new story. I said, um, whatever uh, happened in the past and whatever your own kind of personal contribution of that is, I don't know. Uh, but I think as Christ followers, we're 
where it behooves every one of us to want a better story than the one we've had. Mm-hmm. I think every one of us wants a new story mm-hmm. around Indigenous and um, non-Indigenous relationships. We want a new story. Mm-hmm. We don't yet know what that new story is, but if you actually are here tonight and you want a new story, want to be part of a new story, mm-hmm. I'm going to ask you to stand. Everyone in the room stood. And then I prayed, and then I got off the stage, and my friend brought it home. He hit it out of the park that night. Cool. But I think that that's what I would say is that there's not a person in your church that doesn't want a different future than – they don't want the future to resemble the past. That's right. Yeah, They want right. a new story. They don't mm-hmm. know how to make it happen, uh, but they want it. <laughs> yeah. And I say, why don't you just uh, go with that? Even if you don't know, you know, exactly Chris's vision for this or the elder's vision for this, you mm-hmm. have some hesitations. Why don't you just go with, I want to be part of a new story. Cool. It's a great invitation. Yeah. And I think for those who are listening, like, I don't even really know <laughs> what my vision is. Like, <laughs> you, know, you know, like, oh, where does this end? I have no idea. And, you know, Mark, your story was, was, has been awesome and and I, I just I just am in, encouraged and excited to see doors opening already and and us going on this journey that I think uh, we want to be sensitive to to everybody indigenous people included and uh, and, and how, how do you do that you know I'm just like Lord you got you got to form this community you, you got to do this work because I think there's there's so much work to do Mark uh, anything that we've missed or you'd want to add before we go? I, I don't. I don't think so, Chris. I'm, I really applaud uh, your heart in this and your leadership in this. And I would. Uh, I w- imagine a, a huge portion of of your listening audience will be people from your church. Um, I'm going to ask you, your church community to pray for you daily around this, and your leaders daily around this. And I'm going to ask that. Uh, I'm specifically going to ask that they would only bring those things that are of deepest genuine concern, that they wouldn't be the this, this, this sort of the, the obstacles to this that actually are the obstacles to the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So if they have genuine heartfelt concern, I know you're the kind of leader that would be all ears for that. So I'm not trying to stifle that, mm-hmm. but some of it is, is just this protection of safety, protection of comfort. I'm going to plead with your community, don't be that guy or that girl. Yeah, thank you. Mark, this has been so helpful for us. You know, um, God, like I said, is already opening doors. And uh, and I think uh, our, our friendship relationship is going to be a key part of this to to get coaching from you as you draw from, you know, decades of experience around this uh, around this and, and, and just your knowledge and, and heart and love for your Indigenous friends. Very, very happy to be on the journey with you. Thanks, Mark. Thanks for our time together. One of the high points for me in that conversation was Mark's real brutal honesty about his own prejudice that he had towards Indigenous people, maybe even his apathetic posture towards Indigenous people for a long time as a lead pastor closely, very closely related geographically to Indigenous people. And I think that may be true for some of us listening in. I know as I have gotten into this, I have had to be confronted with some of the views that I have held or absorbed or myths that I have believed. And so if that's you, thanks for your courage for being a part of this, for listening and uh, and wanting to become, as Mark said, kingdom people. Man, I just think it is uh, incumbent upon all people to to that know Jesus to be outward in our 
in our love and appreciation and service of, of every people. So we want to be kingdom people, folks. That's who we are at Loops Alliance Church. So I hope this was helpful for you. If it was, share it. I think it's an important conversation that, uh, that the church needs to have. And so we're trying to do it to the best of our abilities. Hey, if you're looking for more resources, our website's a great place, canloopsalliance.com. Check us out on our weekends. And uh, we just want to help you wherever you're at to, to know Jesus and to make him known. Next week, I'm really excited to welcome Dave Wright. Dave has been uh, serving Indigenous people for uh, decades as well uh, in Canada, as well as in uh, Papua New Guinea. So he, he's going to come and bring a ton of uh, knowledge and experience about how we can do this well. So thanks for being a part of this journey again. Have a good day. Bye-bye.